0: Good morning Church. Today's Bible reading comes from Psalm. We're going to be reading Psalm 51. So have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love, according to your great compassion. Blot out my transgressions, wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my, son, my sin is always before me. Against you, you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So you are right in your verdict and justified when you judge. Surely I was was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Yet you desired faithfulness even in the womb. You taught me wisdom in that secret place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Then I will teach transgressors your ways, so that sinners will turn back to you. Deliver me from the guilt of bloodshed, O God. You who are God, my Saviour, and my tongue will sing of your righteousness. Open my lips, Lord, and my mouth will declare your praise. You do not delight in sacrifice, or I would bring it. You do not take pleasure in burnt offerings. My sacrifice, O God is a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart you, God, will not despise. May it please you to prosper Zion, to build up the walls of Jerusalem, then you will delight in the sacrifices of the righteous, in burnt offerings offered a whole. Then bulls will be offered on your altar.
1: Excellent. Thank you, Peter. And good morning, everyone. Good morning. Uh, I'm Etienne, and yes, welcome to visitors. Anyone with us first time? Great to have you. I'll get to talk for the next. It's a fairly long message. I'm going to do my best to uh, <laughs> keep you with me. Uh, yeah, half an hour. Let's go for that uh, as, we, as we work through this. And I want to lead in with a, with a Perhaps a a, a tough question, and and I do so at the risk of um, causing further uh, hurt for for any any victims of the abuse that Ryan read to us about this morning. Uh, But my question is this, what should a perpetrator, of any of these cases that exist, say, in our church denomination, what should that perpetrator pray? What's, what's the the response or, 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 or a person who has sinned and fallen so spectacularly? To do in terms of their relationship with God? It's an incredible question, isn't it? It's an incredibly important question because we are journeying through the Psalms, and I've said to you in the last two weeks, it paints to us a picture of what's involved in having a relationship with God, living a life in relationship with God. And in some ways, the stuff we spoke about the last two weeks is sort of the straightforward, easy stuff. We said, meditate on the Word of God, take refuge in the King, in, in, in Christ. But now we get to the, the hard, yucky stuff. What do you do? When? You fail morally as a child of God. Notice when? Not if. When you fail. What does the person who is meditating on the law of God, the blessed person, <laughs> the person who is taking refuge in Christ, Christ? fails, when they fail, what do they do, how do, you, how do you pray, how does that work itself out in your relationship with God, that's, that's the question, that's before us this morning and we're looking at the prayer of a man who has failed spectacularly. The man who's described in the Bible as a man after God's own heart. A man who is that much of a model to the faith community across history. His name's David. And his failure is something that would (laughs) let the worst of failures in our day pale in comparison. Murder. Adultery conspiracies to cover up. You have no idea, I don't think, how hurtful this would have been to the community of faith of his day. This is the blessed man whose prayer Peter read to us. And I want you, I want myself as we look through it and we step through it to make it out uh, maybe it's yours this morning because you're, you, you need to deal with some failure in your life. Maybe you will have to in time to come. Maybe you have had to, and all of us, one way or another, will need to continue to. It's an important part of the book of Psalms. Um, I have, in fact, already preached this five years ago here, so forgive me if I repeat myself. Um, let's go. Six things that comes out of this prayer, six things that I think the the person who has failed can and need to be able to say. Now, just before I lunge in, I'll notice that I don't have my sermon with me. <laughs> <laughs> now that's OK. I'm going to have a go at this um, without. It is actually, does someone wind running into my office? It's on my desk. And then I'll, I'll, I'll just, just to be sure, I'll, I'll have a go without. But, um, but we'll see how we go. Thanks, Chris. <laughs> All right, six things. Can um, anyone see that? We'll, we'll, we'll do our best. <laughs> thanks Chris appreciate it alright here's the first thing um, in, in the first two verses that, that David says wow we've got a sermon and slides <laughs> God have mercy on me Okay, Something we see about God here, he's described as the one who has unfailing love and extends compassion. Hear the invitation out of that. You must understand that this is who God is in the midst of your failure or your compounding of failures across your life. The one who you turn to is one who wants to extend compassion to you. Unfailing love to you, no matter what you've done. or or what you are doing. He's the one whom you're approaching. And the humble place of it is you're approaching him as one who is going to talk about your transgressions, your iniquity, your sin. There are three words. Um, Transgressions are... are, are, There's a line, sort of three different Hebrew words, and, and you know there's a line... And you've crossed the line, right? Um, Iniquity talks more, and I'm going to talk about it more in a minute, the the state of our hearts as humans. The reality is we're not morally neutral. The Bible teaches us we're, we're morally depraved. We will always, one way or another... Go for the wrong option. This is very confronting, very countercultural understanding of the human being. We're not born good. It's not true. It's not how the Bible portrays it. We're we're born with an inclination towards not doing the right thing. I don't have to teach my kids to do the wrong thing. They do it all by themselves. They will never naturally lean to the right thing. They will always want to cross the line. That's the idea of iniquity. Cleanse me from my sin. Sin has this idea of a target, bow and arrow. The idea is that your life morally, and morals as defined by God, should hit the target. This is the beauty of of Jesus. This is the life you're called to live as a child of God. It's fragrant, it's beautiful, it's warm, it's light, it is good. And yet we know our lives in varying ways don't hit that target. We miss it. To begin with, this is a humble place. Can, do you think of yourself as that? One of my children really struggled with the idea of uh, saying sorry. <laughs> it's, it's a painful thing. It's a hurtful thing. It's a, you can see the mental calculations when it's needed. Because it's such a humble thing. Such a... Our culture would say such a degrading thing to, to describe yourself as a person who has transgressed, a, a, a person of iniquity in a certain issue, or that you've missed the mark, right? And yet, here is where the prayer starts God, because of my transgressions, my iniquity, my sin, you need to have mercy on me. Number two, Phil, if you can move me on. My clicker's not happy with me. We need to own our sin. Three things come out in those verses. um, My sin is always before me. Have you ever tried to run away from your failures? The stuff that you've done wrong, (laughs) you might know that it doesn't work. You can only run for so long and then it catches up. And all throughout the Psalms, there are these vivid descriptions of what happens to a person who's trying to run away. No sleep. I would argue some, not all, many of our mental health problems, anger, that comes from running. Running from saying, I refuse to stop and say, hey, there is, there is actually something that's, that I'm needing to deal with about myself. The truth is that your sin is always before you. <laughs> it won't just magically go away. And, and secondly, uh, we, we need to acknowledge it as sin. This is touching to the, the first point, but, but David it seems obvious. says that to God, in his case, what makes it so bad is that against you, God, I have sinned. I have missed the mark, crossed the line, that you have drawn and the mark that you have set. Our natural inclination is to change where the line lies <laughs> so that I can say to myself, I haven't crossed it. It's not true. Let's just say there is no target to hit. That's what the culture does constantly shift the target to accommodate our wrongdoing. No, <laughs> This is so countercultural. No, I have missed the target, and I know that it's sin. I know that against you and you only have I sinned," David says. And, and, and thirdly, there, uh, I confess that my sin is inherent. We're going back to this thing of, of um, yeah, the, the technical term is inherent sin or original sin, or, or total depravity. Um, there's a lot of theology around this. I won't go into all of it, but I'll, I'll simply say that I think a good way to understand ourselves as human beings, again, is that we are not morally neutral or morally good by default. It's quite the opposite way. We're born that way. We're broken. Our inclination is not to do the good, right selfless thing, right? Now, you might say to me, (laughs) it's very glum stuff. It's very negative. It's very... Let's see how bad we can make ourselves feel today. How hard we can be on the human heart and spirit. Perhaps, yes... But here's one good reason why these first two points are important. A few years ago, we had the Thai cave disaster. Do you remember that disaster where those boys were trapped a few years ago? They were, as I understood it, 11 kilometres, if, if I have my facts straight. No, three kilometres, rather. Uh, three kilometres from where they started, 800 metres down... Uh, It was an 11-hour trip from where they had to start the dive to, one by one, get those boys back. Without these facts, it's quite hard to really fully appreciate the wonder of this rescue effort. If you don't understand the true extent of their lostness, you can't fully marvel at the true extent of, of their deliverance. And the same is true for you, the same is true for me with respect to the condition of our hearts in general, or with respect to a particular moral failure that you might be dealing with, unless you understand how bad it is, you're going to fail to grasp just exactly how spectacular your deliverance might be. And that's what the first two points do. They paint the picture for us. And David in his prayer says, I'm going to not bar any hole." make no bones of it, this is how bad it is, here it is, now let me turn as he moves on, what now, what do I say now, I've done this in the humble place, what's the next thing, here he goes, he says, clean me up, <laughs> please clean me up, that's the cry, that's the cry, um, The word cleanse is literally de-sin me. Wash is the symbolic thing of baptism. Wash me, like you have a shower, you clean your body, right? Blot out is is like white out. It doesn't exist. Delete what's there. And and the sort of water gets wonderfully deep here because this cleansing, this de-sinning, this correcting of the human heart comes at an incredible cost. This is not something that comes easy or cheap. And the hint of it is actually right here in this psalm. He says, cleanse me with with hyssop. To you and me, that's just Old Testament language, but, but he knew what he was talking about. Here's what he was talking about. Come with me to Exodus. If, if you're near to church, bear with me, I'll explain. If you know the story, come with me. God says to his people in Egypt, just before he delivers them, they need to do something, celebrate a meal. And as part of that meal, take a bunch of hyssop, dip it into the blood in the basin and put some of it uh, on the top, both sides, of the door frame of your house, <laughs> right? And later on in Hebrews, we read these verses. I'm going to read it to you. When Moses had proclaimed every command of the law to all the people, he took the blood of calves, together with water, scarlet wool, and branches of hyssop, and sprinkled the scroll on all the people. He said, this is the blood of the covenant, which God has commanded you to keep. In the same way he sprinkled with the blood both the tabernacle and everything used in its ceremonies. In fact, the law requires that nearly everything be cleansed with blood. And here's the key part. Without the shedding of blood, there is no forgiveness. (laughs) It's gory, perhaps even offensive, Highly affronting to our culture. And yet, outright, the claim of the Christian message. <laughs> the blood, of course, that ultimately cleanses. is not that of the temporary rites of the Old Testament, no. But the blood is the blood of Christ. <laughs> it's the blood of Christ that cleanses. You. It's the blood of Christ that descends. It's the blood of Christ that washes. It's the blood of Christ that that has the only hope, the the only value, the only thing that would fix our moral failures, our hearts that are, are by default not wanting to hit the target. And our individual acts, ongoing acts, past acts, future acts, of moral failure, <laughs> this is how we are cleaned. That is the guts of the Christian message. right? The question is: Have you been washed with that blood? Are you turning and returning to it again and again and again <laughs> It's sufficiency is for the rest of your life. How do you do it? Faith. Yes, I acknowledge my sin. God, I want to be washed. Cleanse me with hyssop. That's the cry of David. It should be the cry of the sexual perpetrator. It should be the cry of me, of you, of every single child of God when we fail. Clean me up. I want you to clean me up, God. Because only that will do it. Then we move on. I'm cleaned up and David's prayer goes, fix me up. I don't just want to be cleaned up. I want to be fixed up for the rest of my life with respects to whatever it is that I'm struggling with. Now, now, uh, create me a pure heart, there's a lovely song about that. The word create, let's get a little bit geeky again. It's a Hebrew word called barah. It's the same Hebrew word that's used in Genesis when God creates the world. God bara's the world into existence. Out of nothing, the incredible, sovereign, incomprehensible power of God creates everything as He wants it. That is the power that sits behind the word bara. Now take that concept into mind and put it into this prayer. Barah, in me, a clean heart. (laughs) Have you any idea what sort of power is at work in your life as a Christian when you pray this in the sincere, humble place of appealing to God for His mercy? Friends, it's the same power that created you and everything else. The same power that will recreate and ordain a new heavens and on earth. That power is at work in you when you pray this. It can de-sin a sexual perpetrator. It could have de-sin a murderer, adulterer, out of the most scandalous fall from grace like David. It can de-sin you and on a day-to-day basis, teach you how to rely on its provision of power for you to be transformed and renewed, to beat whatever it is that is set against you in terms of your own moral deficiencies and failures, right? Please clean me up. Please fix me up. There's a bit more we can go into there, but I'll, but I'll, but I'll move on. Perhaps, yeah, I don't know, uh, don't cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Uh, It's a tricky verse. It's not like you lose your childhood of God when you fall into sin. Uh, It's more, let your Holy Spirit work in me. Do not take that powerful working of transforming me away. I want to get back to that. It's repentance, right? And restore to me the joy of your salvation. You don't lose your salvation when you fall into sin, but you sure as anything lose your joy. Don't you? Those who are caught in children of God who, who are caught in gross moral failures and I know it. You ultimately become miserable. You lack joy. You, 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 that's what you need. That's what God wants to give you, okay? Okay, so far we've said, just to recap, when we're stuck in our moral failures, here's what we need to say, more or less, God, have mercy to your unfailing love. I, I own my sin. Please clean me up. Please fix me up. And now the last two. Um, I, I want to share this with others. Those verses 13 to 16, it's, it, it sounds almost a bit, a bit cocky, a bit arrogant, you know. I want to teach transgressors your ways. Um, yeah, uh, my mouth will declare your praise. But I think we need to get what David, in this case, who prays this, wants to do. He says, I want my own experience of what it means to be cleaned up by you to bless others. Here's the thing you need to know about me. I know this God cleans up, cleans people up, fixes people up. And that's what I want to be able to say. I don't want to be able to say to you, look how morally perfect I am, look how high I've advanced up the spiritual ladder, and look at me as the spiritual elite example. No. What I want to be able to say to you, David says, is, I've been cleaned up. And <laughs> I'm being helped to get fixed up and grown in him. That's what I want to be able to say. So God, if, if there's any reason why other than your unfailing love, you should grant my request to de-sin me and to in me a clean heart. Do it for the sake of other people, not even for me. That they may know how good you are, that this is the business that you're in, and this is how great and good you are. Please, right? This is why you should also want it for yourself. Parents, that you say for your children, this is what's good about it? The God whom we love. This is how He's fixed me up. Help me. Clean me. This is why vulnerability in the Christian community is incredibly important in the appropriate places to say yes, yes. Yes, I was addicted to pornography once. God cleaned me up. He's good. Say it. Share it. Because there's glory for God in this. Right? Do this in me so that I can pass this on and through to others. And there's a little bit more there just in terms of the humility and the, the contriteness of heart that David speaks about. But I'll move on to the last point. God, please bless the victims of my sin. It's fascinating that David goes on. I mean, he talks about Zion, and this is the church of the day, Jerusalem. Um, the sacrifices of the righteous and so forth. Um, why does he bring that into the prayer at all, a prayer of his own sin? Now he was a public figure, so he represents the people. There's a connection there. but I think here's the underlying thing. You know, um, your sin, your moral failure, always affects. never just you it's always others that are involved and the prayer here is beautiful David as a king recognizes that part of what he wants God to do is to rebuild, have mercy heal the others (laughs) who've been affected by his own failures this is a king, think about the lack of trust think about the Discredit to the God who he claims to worship. Think about the fallen Christian leaders of our day and age. How much do they need to pray this? How much do I need to pray? God, may the consequences of my sin not unduly affect others. May they be blessed. May they be healed. And quite frankly, that's why reading this apology statement is why we're doing it as a church, right? We ask God to build up, to restore everyone affected by our sin. All right, now let me close off. You know, one of the dangers of a sermon like this is, is of course, that uh, we can tend to be overwhelmed by guilt, by shame. And and we might come at this from different angles. If if you're a person who's never dealt with yourself as a sinner or with a particular failure in your life today, then the invitation is deal with it. Pray this prayer. There's such deliverance and freedom coming from it. But then there's always others who have done it and and you're in a good place, but, but you carry with it a sense of the unnecessary guilt. And shame, that's it's not your conscience that's being stirred by the Holy Spirit. No, there's something far darker there. The voice that says that, no, you're not forgiven, even though you have prayed this prayer sincerely a number of times, for a particular thing or for your life in general. You also need to know the remarkable statement that this failure, David, is right up to this very day in the history of God's people, still known as the man after God's own heart. <laughs> if he was welcomed, accepted, and de sinned, so will you be. Perhaps your take home should be, so are you. <laughs> Let it go accept the promises of this psalm and walk in its freedom, right? (laughs) Maybe that's you. The end result is one of freedom, deliverance, forgiveness through the blood of Christ. It should be abiding, permanent and life-changing. Please pray with me. Our Father, will you have mercy upon me in your unfailing love and compassion? Right now, I confess and own this or that sin. I do not deny it. And I take responsibility for it. It's mine. My Lord, please clean me. Wash me. Blot out my sin. Thank you that you've done this. So fully in Christ. And that he is sufficient for it. As I go forward, please fix me up or continue to fix me up more and more. I want to be stronger. I want to enjoy you more in godliness, and in Christ-likeness. And Father, may the defining thing of my life be that I share of your great work in me with others. And dear Father, will you please Help restore in your grace and mercy any who are affected by my sin. I pray, I ask, in Jesus' name, Amen.